0: Please be advised all music tracks used in this production are sole property of Kelson Communications and are original compositions. Thank you. Hey, it's Skiri Jones, executive producer of Elvis Duran and the Morning Show on Z100. I want to talk to you all about my friend and fellow Brooklyn College alumnus, Silas. Your e-journalist, social work advocate, Silas hosts and produces the award-winning Kelson on the Air social work podcast. My friend and fellow BCR alum is now known nationally and internationally as silas your e-journalist social work advocate his podcast it's also listed as one of the top social work podcasts you must follow the award-winning kelson on the air social work podcast To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson On The Air Social Work Podcast, the program that promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. Hello to all our listeners. On behalf of everyone at Kelson Communications, we would like to first wish you all a happy African diaspora in history in recognition of this month of celebration the kelson on the air social work podcast would like to take you back to the beginnings of the journey of the show's host that brought him to this point in his career the continuing growth and development of our show's host took place at brooklyn college from 1993 to 1997 it was during that time while pursuing a dual bachelor's degree in broadcast journalism and public communications that Silas created the widely popular public affairs program called Viewpoints, which aired on radio station WBCR 590 AM Brooklyn College Radio, as well as the audio channels of SCTV, that Starrett City Cable, and BCAT brooklyn community access television in february of 1997 silas landed one of his biggest and most influential show guests dr yvonne thornton dr thornton had recently written the highly and critically acclaimed book the ditch diggers daughters a black family's astonishing success story Her book was subsequently turned into a television movie produced by the Family Channel in 1997. It was released on February 23, 1997, and Silas featured the interview with Dr. Thornton as his signature interview to celebrate Black History Month that year. We are proud and honored to replay the original broadcast, which aired all over Brooklyn. Please keep in mind that this is a 26-year-old recording at the tail end of the analog era. We present you... Dr. Yvonne Thornton discussing the Ditch Diggers' Daughters. Enjoy.
1: You're listening to the radio station that all of Brooklyn's talking about. WBCR, Brooklyn College Radio, SCTV3, Starrett City Cable, and BCAT, Brooklyn Community Access Television, New York we're music that rocks no brag just facts it's wbcr music to the max. The,
2: facts.
0: the max welcome to wbcr
1: brooklyn college radio 590 a.m you're listening to viewpoints the weekly public affairs show produced by the wbcr news department and now here's your host uh, good evening. We'd like to take this time out to welcome all our listeners. My name is Silas Kelly, and you're listening to WBCR, Brooklyn College Radio. And uh, this is Viewpoints, and this is our kicking off our Black History Month uh, special. And today we have with us a very special guest, uh, Dr. Yvonne Thornton. Dr. Thornton, we'd like to say hello and welcome to Viewpoints.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Okay. Um, I'd just like to um, open up the uh, show by uh, reading just a little snippet of... Uh, one of the uh, press releases that uh, your publicist were so nice to send me, and I um, just want to set the uh, mood for this interview, and then um, af- after I read it, I'd like to um, have you just introduce yourself, say a little bit about who you are, and, uh, and just take us through this um, very special project that's uh, going to be un- unveiled. Mm-hmm. Um, it opens us, he was a black ditch digger, his wife was a cleaning woman. It was 1950s America, and Donald Thornton set his heart on the notion that his six daughters would grow up to become doctors. The Ditch Digger's Daughters, an American success story, airs on the Family Channel on Sunday, February 23rd from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and during Black History Month. And this original movie was inspired by the critically acclaimed novel by Dr. Yvonne Thornton as told to Joe Cordett. Um, so, Ms. Thornton, tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, first of all, and uh, then we want to talk about this novel and it becoming a uh, family premiere m- movie on
0: TV.
2: Well, I am an obstetrician gynecologist. That is what I do for a living. And I I am the first woman of color in this country, the United States, to be board certified in high-risk obstetrics. Uh, But uh, I am a ditch-digger's daughter. And my mom and dad had the five natural daughters, and they uh, had a foster daughter come into our home. So they raised six girls in the 1950s, and this is before the time of affirmative action and equal opportunity. Uh, I felt in my heart that as I kind of rose through the ladder of success, that I wouldn't be there if it weren't for the sacrifices of my parents, and that they believed in us and nobody else did. Uh, I don't know how old you are, but I, I do know that in the 50s, uh, there were distinct gender roles for women, and uh, they weren't encouraged to, big, to dream the big dreams. They just uh, uh, said, okay, it's a consolation prize, but I want a son to carry on the name." And uh, I have a daughter now, and she's never heard of that stuff. But when I was growing up, you had to have a junior in your house to be uh, to be thought of a real man. But my father had five of us. And uh, and by the time she was 27, five girls and no boys was somewhat difficult to swallow for the neighborhood. We were like pariah uh, in the neighborhood and kind of outcasts. Uh, most of the black women in Long Branch, black girls, never graduated high school in Long Branch High because they were high school dropouts. Uh, They were unwed mothers, and they were on public assistance by the time they were 18. But my father said, no, no, not for my girls. But everybody said, oh, yeah, your girls are going to be like everybody else. But he said, I don't think so. And it was this dream to become doctors. If you're a doctor, if you can heal somebody, if you make somebody well, you can occupy a great place in this society that nobody can ever take away from you. And that was the dream, that all of us become doctors. And this this dream was hardened into a single-minded determination that fueled our lives for many, many years. Okay.
1: And uh, um, based on uh, some of the uh, brief reading that I had a chance to do, um, um, I'm, to be honest with you, being a, a student, and I'm sure you can relate to this, uh, I really haven't had time to read the book, but I have uh, had time to review the synopsis that was sent to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole idea of uh, making uh, the, the Daughters of uh, Mr. Donald Thornton into a success came about in a very interesting way he was at work one day if i'm correct and uh and he started getting he started getting ribbed by some of his uh
2: well he's always got ribbed It's not one day my father <laughs> lived every day by getting ribbed and by being taunted and by being told that he you know he was a failure as a man because he couldn't produce a son not even one son for himself this is not just one day i mean you have to understand this was the air era this is the, the, the time in which um, men needed to have sons in order to validate their existence as, as being macho men and uh, he worked in an area that they were not well-educated uh, men my father was not well-educated he's a high school dropout uh, by in the 10th grade and uh, he never graduated high school he ran away from home when he was in his teens and married my mother when he was 18 before he went off to fight in world war ii and again by the time he was 27 he had five kids
1: I see. Um, there was a very interesting uh, scenario that uh, took place uh, with uh, your sister Jeanette uh, when she came home with her first C on her report card. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that?
2: Well, uh, again, as I said before, even though my father was a ditch digger and did not graduate high school, he he revered, as did my mother, revered education. I'm so glad we're talking on a, on a college station because... Uh, the free flow of thoughts is is much different than the, on any commercial station. Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the concerns are is that education, even though it's not glamorous, it's not spectacular, it is. According to my parents, it will stand the test of time. And in order, if you're black kids, then you have to be the best at what you do, because if you're uh, if you get a B and everybody else gets a B, then the person who has blonde hair and blue eyes is going to get the knot to uh-huh. go to the top of the class. If you have the A plus and everybody else has a B, then it's going to look silly that you're not going to get the nod. So we were told pointy letters. I want pointy letters coming in this house. A, <laughs> no curved letters. I only B's and C's. Mm-hmm. Well, one day Jeanette came in with a C, mm-hmm. and uh, which is average. I mean, you no know, C's are really not that bad, but not for my quest for my parents. And they they just said uh, this is unacceptable. Now, uh, not at the time because Jeanette showed him the report card, and we thought that the whole ho- roof was going to fall off the house uh, when she showed him the seat, but he, he didn't say anything. Mommy didn't say anything. Uh, but in reality, unlike in the movie, the, I guess because of continuity, they, they placed it on my mother, on my father's shoulders. But uh, the real story was that Jeanette did come home with a seal on a report card, and Mommy, the next uh, weekend, just woke Jeanette up about 5 o'clock in the morning and said, get all, you know, get your uh, work clothes on, going down into the kitchen, get some babo and brillo and get uh, your know, knee pads because we're going to be scrubbing. Mm-hmm. And Jeanette said, well, me? Scrub? Uh, no, yes, that's what we're going to be doing because anybody who gets to see is either too lazy or too dumb to become a doctor. And if you're not going to become a doctor, then you might as well become cu- accustomed to what you're going to be, which is a cleaning lady uh, and clean up somebody else's house and let's do it right. Mm-hmm. And for that whole entire day, my mother worked my sister. I mean, she was cleaning and scouring and... And scrubbing the floors the whole day, and she got the kitchen very, very bright. It was wonderful. <laughs> but uh, I learned my lesson real quick. I said, "Huh, reading is much, be- much easier." A little light on the corner of the desk. I had my my, my chair, my books, and I ran up there and started studying. Uh
1: huh. I see. Okay. So now, when 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 you when you were growing up um, with with your father, uh, was was there a lot of? Uh, uh, support as far as like with homework and and, and and sitting out taking time out to see how your day went in school because well, that, that's one of the things that mm-hmm. a, a lot of today's what they call latchkey kids or they really mm-hmm. miss that a lot today.
2: It's not latchkey kids. every kid's a latchkey kid today. I, it was It was a novelty when we went into the 70s or 80s of latchkey kids. Now it's it's the way. I mean now it seems to be. That is the rule versus the exception. Latchkey children, they come in, nobody's home, both parents are working. You know, they may have a, a babysitter or something to come in. It's not the usual nuclear family that I grew up in. And I really sincerely believe that that's a big problem with the, with the erosion of the infrastructure of our family. And when I say erosion, I'm talking about, think about, it. how many families sit down for dinner anymore? Sit down, uh, not with the television in the back sit down every night to say, how did you go, how did school go today, what are you going to do with uh, extracurricular activities, uh, anything, just to have a conversation without having the, the blur and the, uh, of, of the television in the background, to sit down, everybody in the family, but no, I'm going to go play this, I've got to go over to somebody's house, I'm going to the library, gonna, nobody, nobody sits down anymore to talk. So therefore, uh, the parents don't have, to me, a psychological or philosophical hold on what the what's expected of their children, but we did. My father had worked two eight-hour jobs for 25 years, and between jobs he would sit down in the morning between uh, his night job and his day job uh, to sit down at the round table with his cup of coffee and his cigarettes, and said, "Okay, girls, what happened today? What happened yesterday?" And we would tell him, "Oh, what happened in school?" And then he would he would kind of weave moral uh, you know moral stories and have and have us. Think about what was happening, and kind of uh, kind of ruminate on what was happening, and and it was very important that we had his wisdom, uh, in, intertwined in what we told him.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, um, wh- when did you actually decide to uh, to put down all the memories uh, of your your upbringing and your dad? Um, when did you decide to uh, write it down and uh, make it into a
2: book? Well, it, wasn't like it was my dad. actually th- the impetus for this book was my mom. Uh, when I was a resident at Roosevelt Hospital in New York and uh, we have, uh, had mother-daughter talks, you know. And she said, Honey, it would be nice to have um, a book in the library. And who would have ever thought 20 years ago, you know, with two with, with kids from the projects and growing up to be very professional, uh, very educated women. And I said, uh, you know, she said it would be nice to have a book in the library in case those people who felt downtrodden who felt there wasn't any hope left? Who felt that they couldn't go on because there were just overwhelming odds? That if they if they could, you know, read a book in a library about two people, a ditch digger and a domestic, who had six kids, six girls, and they turned out the way you girls did. Maybe that could help them. Maybe it could make it feel a little better. And I said, Well, Mom, who's going to be writing this book? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on call you the other night. I'm delivering babies. Mm-hmm. And she goes, Well, you know, it's just a thought. And I've been writing a little notes here or there. You know, it'd just be nice to have a book in the library. Uh, she didn't say bookstore because we couldn't afford uh, to buy, you know, buy books in a bookstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, again, not to be melodramatic, she passed away shortly thereafter. Wow. And, and uh, after the, the, her sudden death, um, and the weight and of a loss had lessened a little bit. I remember what my mother wanted. She wanted a book in a library. And let me tell you, from 1977, which was the year of her death, until 1995, which is 18 years, it took me to get this book published. Wow. Nobody wanted to publish this book. Nobody wanted to help me to write this book. Wow. And it took me to sheer persistence. And I'm telling everybody out there in the listening audience, if you want something, if you put your heart to it, your soul to it, and your mind to it, you can do it. Because I said to myself, I am not leaving this earth until there is a book, and here is the book.
1: That is such a fantastic story. Okay, um, to all our listeners who might just be tuning in, you're listening to WBCR's Brooklyn College Radio. This is Viewpoints, 590 on the AM dial. We'd like to welcome all our listeners, borough wide in Brooklyn, uh, coming via BCAT on uh, Cablevision and Time Warner. Uh, We're going to take a quick uh, PSA break, uh, play two PSAs, we're going to come back uh, when we come back, Dr. Thornton, we want to talk a little bit more about uh, the uh, process that it took to uh, put this book um, make it become, from a, take it from a thought to a reality and, uh, and then we want to talk about a little bit about uh, some of the other work that you've done uh, we'll be back with more with this interesting conversation with Dr. Thornton as we celebrate uh, African American History Month on Viewpoints right after these messages WBCR and the Brooklyn Center for the Performing Arts invite you to experience the magic. For the best in world-class performances, call the Brooklyn Center for the Performing Arts today. There's sure to be something on their entertainment menu for you. The Brooklyn Center for the Performing Arts is your best bet for single tickets or season tickets. And Brooklyn College students, with a valid ID, you can get special student rush discount tickets. Call today at 951-4500. That's 951-4500. Tell them you heard it on WBCR, the voice of Brooklyn College. Okay, and we're going to go back to our interview with Dr. Thornton. Having a little technical difficulty, but we're going to go back to our uh, interview. Once again, we're interviewing uh, Dr. Yvonne Thornton, the author of a book called The Ditch Digger's Daughter, which uh, will be provided um, on uh, the Family Channel, World Premiere on February 23rd. And, uh, Dr. Thornton, um, a lot of people um, might probably be interested in the whole idea of how does one actually get a book? to go from some thoughts in your head to a, <laughs> some kind of manuscript to an actual finished product. That must be quite a task. Um, it is,
2: it's a story in and of itself. I, I, I'm i an obstetrician by trade, my profession. I'm a high-risk obstetrician who delivers babies. But I knew I had a story to tell. First of all, everybody has a story to tell. I mean, that's, uh, all of our experiences, good, bad, you know, uh, sad, happy. We all have a story to tell. Now, you're right. How do you put it down? in words? I... I put it down in words with the help of a collaborator, Joe Cudair. She uh, w- is a wonderful writer, and she's a freelance writer who, uh, who writes for Reader's Digest and, and uh, uh, Good Housekeeping and Women's Day. But there are not too many writers who would want to help you unless there's a hefty fee of <laughs> about seventy-five to to $100,000 that wow. can help you. Unless you're Dennis Rodman or LaToya Jackson or somebody, and then, oh, yeah, 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 I'll help you write your story. But the average person can't come up with that kind of money. Uh, so you'd still try, and if you keep trying to write, you will not be, not be able to do your, you know, your day job. You know what I'm trying to say? Right. But some people will plug along for 10 or 15 years to write everything down, and that's fine. But I knew that I needed to have a writer that was skilled, that was professional, that could, uh, that could weave the tale, as I told it. Mm-hmm. and put it in not only my father's voice my, from my father's point of view but also from my mother's point of view and from my point of view and my sister's point of view it was a very difficult task mm-hmm. uh, but uh, finally getting that writer uh, I, I sent her some tapes of my father who uh, oh 15 years ago had made the tapes for another book that unfortunately uh, didn't come to fruition and uh, she listened to the tapes for loads of those many hours and she called me and said we have to do this book. Your, book, your father sounded like he loved you girls. He would do anything for you girls. And it's about time for a book about people of color that 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 you're not victims and that you can do it just because you work hard. And, and as, I, as I say so many times, the subtitle is very misleading, A Black Family's Astonishing Success Story. We just happen to be black. This is an American success story. Uh, good this, point. This is a microcosm of what anybody can do in this country you know, given uh, the opportunities that are given to us and that we utilize it properly. If we were in Bangladesh or in some other country in which women weren't allowed to do anything, you know, that would be a different story. But here, we are in America. And as black women, and, and my parents had the wit to value education, we rose as far, as fast, and high as anybody in one generation to come from a ditch digger to a uh, a double board certified maternal fetal medicine specialist and to stand on equal terms with anybody. And that's why uh, the book is so close to my heart because it shows that there, it may, people call it inspirational, the New York Times call it inspirational, but I call that you can do anything. I think our society is not giving uh, the youth any credit and it hasn't given parents any credit. And there are thousands, hundreds and thousands of families just like my mom and dad who work two and three jobs to get their kids to go to college but they are unsung heroes because publishing companies and editors say, "Ah, just like my book. Oh, there's no conflict. Oh, you know, this is nothing. Oh, this is
1: not marketable. <laughs> no drama, right? Exactly. <laughs>
2: now, I'm sure if my father was the was the father of five prostitutes, Boomer would be, you know, taken up by six or seven book plot companies.
1: Well said. Well said. Definitely. Um, now, on on your uh, your your journey to uh, fulfill both your you you and your sisters and your and your parents. Um, dreams of of success and and achievement. Uh, I understand you had a um, brief encounter with uh, musical fame. Tell our listeners a little bit about that.
2: Well, uh, I would say more than brief. uh, I would say that half of my life has been in music. Uh, We had an all-girls band known as the Thornton Sisters. We performed up and down the East Coast uh, on the college circuit in our later years. But our, in our formative years, Ted Mack and the original Amateur Hour, that was our first break. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those of you old enough to remember that, it was a very popular show in the, in the 50s and 60s. I remember. And, and 1959, <laughs> uh, uh, March 29, 1959, we were on Ted Mack. And uh, we came up second to the Irish jig dances. But my father said, if you're good enough to be on Ted Mack, the next thing is the Apollo. Mm. And I'm sure most of your viewer, viewers and listeners know about the Apollo. In those days, and I think still now, if you win four weeks in a row on Wednesdays, the amateur night on Wednesdays, you can get a paid week with the stars. That's the way it used to be. Four weeks in the, t- uh, you know, if you win before the toughest house, I think in show business, you get a paid week with the stars. Well, we won the first week and the second week and the third week. And just about the fourth week, the management said, uh-uh, uh, no, the rules have been changed. Uh, we're getting too close. Rules have been changed. you got to win six weeks in uh-huh. a row. And uh, my father said, uh, was very, very upset. My mom said, no, Aiden, Donald, you know, we can do it. We won the fourth week. We won the fifth week. We won the sixth week in a row. Six weeks in a row. Powell's Theater, 1959, 1960. And uh, the your management said, you have no contract, and we're, you're still not going to have a paid week with the stars. Wow. Well, my father went berserk. He went ballistic. He got a lawyer. We sued the Apollo, got a settlement out of court because it had been longstanding that it was a tradition of uh, having amateurs get the paid leave with the stars. But nobody had won it in 20 years, you know, so it was no big deal. And uh, we played with Ernie K. Doe and Shepard Limelights and D.D. D. Sharp in 19, uh, 1961. Wow! And the next year, I'm sure you remember Murray the K and mm-hmm. the Swinging Soiree, Brooklyn Fox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that year, 1962, was the Four Seasons, the Thornton Sisters, Chuck Jackson, the Crystals, Fabian, Ronettes, And we said, Daddy, forget about this doctor dream stuff. We are popular. <laughs> you know? want to go out and get mobbed. Where's the autograph? <laughs> he said, sit your butts down there. Sit, sit over here. Let me just tell you something, girl. And he said, now look, You're up there, you're shaking, you're 18 years of age, you're looking good, people love you. People love you today, they'll love somebody else tomorrow. Mm. But let me tell you something, we're not going to compromise our long-term goals for these short-term gains. Yes, it's nice to be in the spotlight, but think about it when you're 30, 40 years from now, when you're 50 years old, who wants to see a wrinkly old woman trying to blow a saxophone on stage? It's not a pretty sight to see. Wow, but if you have them stripper scraps around your neck, uh, that's music. <laughs>
1: that's a very interesting point. Uh and you mentioned a uh, uh, scripper scraps. What, what's that? Daddy uh,
2: couldn't pronounce stethoscope. Oh, okay. So he could just saw those doctors with <laughs> the stripper scraps around oh,
1: their neck. Okay. Oh, wow. And uh, and uh, so 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 about that time also, uh, for what I understand, um, you 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 um you and your sisters actually offered a, a recording.
2: contract. Oh, yeah. Atlantic Records, the Roulette Records, recording contracts were flooding in. Now you have to really understand. We were poor. I mean, mm-hmm. we were from the projects. And I look back now, and and I see that a parent who made this wonderful decision for us anyway, who turned his back literally on the thousands and thousands of dollars for you know for promotion and 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 uh, for record recording contracts, and said, no, my children are going to be in school. And if it if it if it if recording these records and allowing them to be on a promotional tour to take, will take them out of school you can take your recording contract and shove it because mm. they're not leaving school they're going to be doctors now what kind of parent would do that and my dad did and I, i'll tell you uh, it it made all the difference in the world that they took the right road for us anyway they could have taken the quick fast easy road to fame but we could we could have ended up like every other performer that we don't even know about anymore 50 years you know later exactly and, and we could have ended up like a, another five member family i'm not going to mention any names mm-hmm. and so It's somewhat dysfunctional but you know five member family right. that the whole idea is you wanted to be educated and that's what we did and my parents said i don't care if we're going to be puerto restaurant you kids are going to be educated
1: i see um uh, now when 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 you all of you were were, were coming up mm-hmm. one of your sisters kind of wanted to kind of go against the trend a little bit uh, huh. okay and uh Tell our, little, our listeners a little bit about.
2: Well, you know, in every family, I think more that we, if you have more than two kids, you know, if you have two kids, one's a rebel. You know, <laughs> one's going to push the limits. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have two children. My daughter's always pushing the limits. Mm-hmm. And in our family, that person was the second born, uh, Jeanette. I mean, she did, if Daddy said right, she had to say left. If he said black, she said what. Well. That's just the nature of Jeanette. Uh, she had to find out for herself. Now uh, at the Brooklyn Fox, even though the recording contract was torn up and we had to go back, we went back to school. In the audience was a man from a boy from Princeton University, and he said, "Would you play for Eating Club in the Cap and Gown?" Uh, And we said, "Sure," but we were making oh a pittance at the Brooklyn Fox, but the the college circuit was very very lucrative, and we played Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and Sunday. For 13 years on the circuit through my high school years college medical school residency program now in order to make money for my other sisters to go to graduate school my older two sisters jeanette and donna chose not to not to uh, to follow let's put it this way the family mantra of being doctors being doctors and it's uh, some people say my father was very strict but you have to understand the backdrop in which we were raised i mean the majority of girls were pregnant when they were 14. And we were poor and the likelihood of us making it was very, very, very dim. That's remote. And he was strict. We ins- we were insulated with love and isolated from everybody else. So Jeanette said, Huh, I don't wanna be a doctor. I don't wanna be a medical doctor. I'll be a doctor, Daddy, I'll be a PhD. And my father wasn't sophisticated. He's a high school dropper. What does he know? He says, What's a PhD? Is that can that heal people? Can I make people well? She goes, No, 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 no. It's a it's like it's a Dr. Philosophy. And my father said, people don't need any philosophy. They people make it well <laughs> But Jeanette went on her way, and she, she left the family. She uh, left the band. Very, very, very sad time in our family. Wow. And uh, Daddy's dream was lost, supposedly. And he was, like, catatonic for about two years. Wow. And uh, I vowed, I said to myself, that... Uh, God gives me breath in my body. I am going to be the doctor that he thought uh, that Jeanette should be. Uh-huh. And and I like biology. I wanted to be I wanted to deliver babies anyway. So I when I told Dad there was a glint of hope that I could probably get to medical school, but we went to such a small little college called Monmouth College. It was a teacher's college that I don't know if I could get accepted because nobody knew Monmouth College. They knew Barnard and, you know, Harvard and Yale and all that stuff and he says okay well it doesn't make any difference if you get A's you know it doesn't make any college would you go to and he was right he mm-hmm. was right I went to Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons I graduated with honors and you should have seen them in the audience on that May 16th day in 1973 wow uh, unbelievable mm. wow
1: that's, that's, that's fantastic um now um, the, um you could um, say that this could be considered a, a universal story about uh, the American work ethic yes and um uh, what 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 lessons um, can you see being drawn from from this particular work, the book? And uh, we're going to be talking about um, how the book became a TV movie in just a little bit. But uh, for someone uh, actually reading this book, um, and and may feel that they're you know pretty much you know doing what they need to do to 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 get to where they can. Where where they can feel proud of their accomplishments. Uh, what what other lessons can be drawn from this that uh, that you feel that would make this book um, an inspiration to someone? I mean, of course, we know it will be an inspiration to someone that feels like there is no hope. But I'm sure there, there are some points in here that that can uh, bring some a light a lighter view to uh, someone else that's reading the book that maybe you know already um, on that road.
2: Well, they don't. Know. Well, th- that's good. I mean, it's great because you have to know which road you're going to be on. I think you have to set your goals, and, and today should have been thought about five to ten years ago. As we sit here in 1997, this should have been, where we, what we're doing now should have been thought about in 1992. So in 1997, my father says you've got you to plan ahead. You've got to say, what am I going to do in five years? What am I going to do in ten years? And, and see where that road goes. The other thing is that you're right. People may not be downtrodden and, and not have it, but throughout the book, it is a work ethic. And being a black woman, let me tell you, it's not easy here in a supposedly um, egalitarian society uh, when there is subtle racism, there's subt- subtle sexism, there's subtle, not even so subtle, nepotism. <laughs> uh, and the thing is, what are you going to do about it? My father says, so what? There's always going to be that. It's always going to be sexism. There's always going to be racism. There's always going to be nepotism. So what are you going to do? So, well, mm-hmm. you know, I can't do it because those things. Nope. You have to be the best that you could do. And let me tell you, excellence, excellence is going to level the, play, the, the, the playing field. And that's what you have to work to do. I mean, if you think what you're doing is according to your master plan, that's fine. But you have to you know, ratchet it up a notch to make sure either you're going to accelerate it or, do the, or be better at what you do. And I have always made sure that my goals were not too far out of reach but so that they were practical, but I had to reach them. I had to meet them. And once I met that goal, I went to another one
1: right i see uh now what, what what about the the whole idea of uh, um some people uh have a tendency to uh set a goal and um, and just as they you know they're they're getting ready to to reach that goal and they see that goal in sight. Then they, they set another goal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, so now they, they're, they're approaching that goal. So now it's like, okay, I, I need another challenge to, right. to go out and conquer. Uh, right? Um, is, is there a point where where, 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 where where a person can get possessed with that and, and never, never... In other words, like, is, is, would that be a, an indication that a person is really not happy with themselves?
2: No, I think there's it's an incremental uh, success. Incremental success for me, and I, and I can only speak for myself... Incremental success for me was, one, to become a doctor, for, you know, for me uh, and uh, and for my parents. That was very, very difficult, being the first person in my family, in a family that, that didn't even, you know, barely graduate high school, the majority of my aunts and uncles, and to have the first generation to go to college was a shock. And then I'm going on to medical school and sitting next, next to the, uh, door or seated next to... People who are third and fourth generations of medical people from Harvard and Yale and Princeton—I mean, that is unbelievably intimidating. Mm. So the goal is, Yvonne, let me just put one step, you know, before <laughs> another, one foot before another. Don't become overwhelmed. And I think the social, uh, the social culture shock for many people of color entering a white world where they've looked at it from the outside, but they've never lived inside of it uh, with people. Uh, not of color it's a different culture and the culture shock can can uh, basically do you in but if you just put one foot in in front of the other that's why in your question before you said did my parents help me they said I can't do all this calculus or invertebrate embryology honey I don't know all that stuff but I can tell you everybody gets in their pants like everybody else one leg at a time (laughs) (laughs) so you just do it one step at a time and you can do it honey you can do it and it's their support and, and, and their guidance, and they're just you know beefing me up when I was kind of low, and I didn't think I could do it. That's what got me through
1: right, I see. Um, you, you mentioned just a few minutes ago about the intimidation that you felt um, being in in, in in arenas and areas that you know maybe were almost unthought of or mm-hmm. um, now a, a lot of African Americans and people of color go through that um, um, being the first to do this or or being in a position where it's almost like uh you're, you're the front runner or the forerunner for all those that may come after you, or, or you're a trailblazer. Right. Um, what would be your advice to to, a, to to people that find themselves in that position? Because it can be a very intimidating position uh, position to be in, because not only are you thinking about uh, trying to be successful for yourself, mm-hmm. but if you're a purchase of person of some conscious, you, you may even become overcome with the thought of, well, if I don't do you know well or excel, then maybe someone coming behind me might not have as easy a time. I'm I mean, uh, so what would be your advice to someone that finds themselves in a position like that and, and does feel that type of intimidation and, and, and being somewhat of a trailblazer, like, of course, yourself was?
2: Well, well in a sense, uh, to thine own self be true. You can't worry about anybody else until that's later, but you have to have self-confidence. And, and it's, it's a trite thing, self-confidence, but really confidence in yourself. And that is, I can do this, I can do this well. Hmm. And then, if you can do that well and people acknowledge that you do it well, then you go to the next step. In my case, uh, it's important to just put it on a personal basis because I can't speak for a lot of people. Uh, in, in my case, I see it every day. I'm a perineatologist, which is uh, a physician who has uh, really distinguished his or herself by going through extra training and, and fellowship. But when I come into a room in 1997 and they need to have a high-risk obstetrician for a very, very complicated delivery, a very, very complicated labor situation, they still look at me up and down and say, uh, where's the perinatologist? Mm. You know? <laughs> and I'm saying, I'm, but I say, okay, fine. You don't expect me to do, expect me to empty a garbage can, but that's okay. I know, I know I'm good at what I do. And that's what anybody who's, quote-unquote, a trailblazer like in my family, I, it was uncharted waters. And if you just take it one step at a time and my dad would say that you can inherit wealth i mean and you can be blessed with the talent that god has given you to to sing or to to dance or to run I and mean, to have athleticism but the majority of us we don't have all that stuff we're not we're not going to be recipients of a rockefeller mansion or you know dupont or some of us are not blessed with the talents that we think could make us a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But we are blessed. Every single one of us can go to a library. Mm-hmm. And education and being educated is not monopoly on being smart. And you can stay there in the library for hours and hours and hours and train yourself to get as much information into your head. Now, in an extension to your question, even in my nuclear family, in my nuclear family, there's, there were six of us. Don and Jeanette chose not to become physicians uh, originally. Betty, or my foster sister, we knew she wasn't going to be a physician because that my father didn't have a long enough, quote-unquote, so she could listen to his philosophy. Then I was up at bat, and I didn't say, well, you know, if I fail, then my other two sisters, Reed and Linda, are not going to do it. I said, I have to do well right now, mm-hmm. and that's what I did. And when I did receive that M.D., my sisters who have, uh, you know, now it's just like sibling rivalry, said, look... I've been, I lived with that woman. I know Yvonne <laughs> is just like flesh and blood. If she can become a doctor, heck, you know, it can't be that bad. Right. So I inspired my younger sisters, Linda, who became a, a dentist and now is, an ortho, is a prosthodontic oral surgeon, one of only three black women in the country to be so specialized in, in implant oral surgery. And my kid sister, she's an attorney. Then, okay, I was the first. Then my oldest sister, Jeanette, who originally said i don't want to be an md i want to be a, a phd said hey she went back to medical school at 32 years of age and graduated 36 so i i believe myself to be in my own family a catalyst for my sisters to to be the best that they could be
1: right right uh, ex- excellent point um and you just mentioned something else that that um um in, in this day and age um we find uh on college campuses uh the a- uh, the average or or, or the or, or the me- the median uh age is uh getting older and older and and sometimes you find uh people returning back to school after having uh, uh other careers that may have or may or may not have been successful sometimes you find people returning back to school after uh overcoming uh, uh tremendous obstacles and odds and and setbacks um and you know uh, in in many instances i'm sure that can be a very uh, uh frightening uh, situation to kind of like look around and say well hey you know like by the time i finish uh doing what i'm doing uh you know like i'm going to be competing with uh people that have uh you know that are that are maybe you know i'm 20 years their senior mm-hmm. um how do you think what what type of effect do you think that has on uh on people and um what would you say to to people that may have get that 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 stage fight from time to time as they're in the midst of you know uh uh, uh pursuing degrees and, and 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 pursuing other career pursuits, but you know every time you know every now and then they get this uh the stage fight about wow you know you know <laughs> well, am I too late to be in the game?
2: Well, the thing is is that you know I think life has its own order. Mm. And there are times in which we 're supposed to do things are times we 're supposed to be in kindergarten, times which we 're supposed to be married, times we 're supposed to die, even you know, but the thing is is that if you 're delayed it doesn 't mean that it 's lost, but you, there is a price to pay mm-hmm. when you delay things and i and i my heart goes out to the folks who went back after overcoming obstacles, but you have to understand that if you if you looked 10 years ahead of time. You see what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. You probably wouldn't have been in that situation in order that you felt like you were inferior. A <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, my hat's off to them, but I know that especially women who go back to school, uh, you know, when they, they have their children or whatever, and they're working two jobs and the kids are going to school. I, I know my, my hat's off to them, but it's a, it's a really tiresome task. But my mother would say, when you have children, your life ends. Your life ends. Forget about it. You have to give all your your soul, all of your energies to the next generation. That's why don't you shouldn't be having kids. And that's what she told us. Until you look up into the heavens and say, Well, God, I've done about everything else. I've done my schooling. I've traveled. I got married. I got a little bit of money on the side. And if I should die right now, if she should take me from this earth, you know, I've done everything. And she says, When that time comes, then you can have the kids. Uh-huh. Before that, you know, it, you you can't really. Have
1: children because some my, my other sisters say, well, they're economic liabilities. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> uh huh. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, once again, to all our listeners that might just be tuning in. Once again, it's the WB Charge Brooklyn College Radio. It's Silas Kelly uh, uh, having a very interesting uh, conversation with uh, Dr. Yvonne Thornton, the author of a very uh, popular and a very inspirational book called the ditch diggers daughters and uh, that's been made into a uh... A movie for the family channel and it's going to be a, a world premiere um... that's coming on the family channel on sunday february 23rd at 7 p.m. um... eastern and pacific time uh... and uh... we're going to take a psa break uh... when we come back i'm going to be providing our listeners with a little information about a uh... special uh... contest that uh... Uh, involving this movie and we're going to give our listeners uh, information about that and then we're going to talk um, with you Dr. Thornton about how the book uh, transpired from uh, got transformed rather from the book itself into the family movie and how much input and things that you had okay we'll get back to you with all of that and more right after this and you're listening to Viewpoints WBCR 590 AM features the latest news, sports and weather WBCR's news team brings you up to the minute campus, local, national and international news stories our expanded Coverage includes public affairs programming, entertainment news, and feature stories. So, to keep informed, keep it in tuned to WBCR 590 AM. We're at Brooklyn College Radio.
2: Losing a loved one to AIDS is tough. You experience anger, sadness, loneliness, even shame. Often, there's no one to share your grief. Our counselors understand. If you're a woman living in Flatbush and have lost a relative, spouse, child, partner or friend to AIDS, get the support that you need. The Church Avenue Merchants Block Association provides free confidential bereavement counseling for women coping with an age related loss. We're ready to help. Call Wista or Carrie at 718-826-2223. That's 718-826-2223.
1: Okay, once again, that was a message from your friends here at WBCR and Canberra, the Church Avenue Merchants Business Association. Um, For those of you that might need some counseling um, relating to the fact that you may have lost a loved one to an age-related disease. Uh, Once again, we're talking with Dr. Yvonne Thornton, uh, the author of the book, The Ditch Digger's Daughter, um, which is uh, going to be... uh, Uh, world premiere movie on the Family Channel, Sunday, February 23rd, and the Family Channel is teaming up with Reed Magazine to conduct a student writing contest based on uh, uh, FAM's inspirational world premiere movie, The Ditch Digger's Daughter. The contest will run from February 23rd to April 1st and is designed to motivate secondary school students to live according to the life lessons emulated in the movie, The Ditch Digger's Daughter. Uh... And just a little bit more information. The contest asks students to discuss how a character from the movie or Dr. Thornton's book relates to his or her own life. The top three entries will each receive a $5,000 savings bond from the Family Channel. With the grand prize winner also receiving a $1,500 cash donated by Dr. Thornton. Thank you very kindly, Dr. Thornton. You're okay, and. Uh, All students grades 6 through 12 are eligible to participate. Teachers are encouraged to tape the film during a commercial-free airing February 28th from 3.30 to 5 a.m. and use it in their classrooms copyright-free for two years. Teachers also may order a free study guide poster for their classrooms by writing to Family Channel, CIC, Department, Post Office Box, 2050, Virginia Beach. Virginia, uh, zip code 23450-2050. And uh, if any of you would like to have more information, you can uh, call us here at WBCR at uh, uh, 718-859-6314 and we'll be happy to provide you with the information. And also, to enter, students or teachers must obtain a list of official contest rules available by calling area code 860-638-2400 or by down- downloading them off the internet at dot. FamFun.com or www.weeklyreader.com. Uh, so we hope that uh, we can get some of our listeners to participate in this. And once again, if you like more information, it's here at WBCR, and we'll be happy to pass that along to you. Um, now, uh, Dr. Thornton, um, how was the book, and when when was it decided that the book would be something uh, that could uh, be turned into a, a TV movie? And when did that come come about, and what was your role in playing Well, that was about play?
2: 18 months ago, and... Uh I after the book was written as I told you that my, it was my mom's dream come true mm-hmm. uh, that uh, even though she was gone by then I, it was my dream that, uh, that the book was uh, uh, made to uh, made it to the, to the bookshelf and then when the American Library Association named it 1996 one of the best books for young adults you know I said mom this one's for you it's, uh. Uh, it's a really great honor for it to be an award winning book now when the book, in and of itself, is such a a conversational type of book. Many people say once they start reading the first page, they can't put it down. And it's going to be a movie, Doctor Thorne. It's going to be a movie. And I said, eh, you know, it's about black folks who wants to, a, you know, have a movie about black people. Rudy, they can have a movie, but I don't think about, you know, they would have a movie about black people. And I, you know, but then again, in the back of your mind, you wait for Universal, you wait for, you know, Steven Spielberg, you wait for 20th Century Fox. Nobody called, <laughs> and uh, it, uh, it. The book also was reviewed in the New York Times book review section. It was condensed in the Reader's Digest in 1995, um, and also in the Wall Street Journal. Now, when it was in the Wall Street Journal, uh, Tony Tomopoulos and Gus Lucas, Donald Carolyn uh, at the Family Channel had read the review in the Wall Street Journal, and they contacted me at Morristown Memorial Hospital, where I practice, And... Uh, they told me that the Bailey Channel was going to put a new face on itself, they were, uh, that it was going to go into a new age of having original movies, and they wanted to have a new look. And they felt that uh, my story, my book, was exactly what they wanted in order for it to be represented, uh, the, the Family Channel to represent what it stood for. And I was hesitant, because I know sometimes when you give people the rights to your book, they... Do a lot of things with it. Let's put it that <laughs> way, <laughs> and it may be a perverted version. My father could turn into an axe murderer or something. But I spoke to my collaborator, Joe Kudere and uh, we, we agreed that the Family Channel would be, uh, a, you know, an appropriate vehicle through which more people would know about my mom and dad. And that's why we. That's when we said yes. And Paris Qualis, uh, which just uh, incidentally and ironically. Uh, grew up in Long Branch, and he was the one that wrote the Tuskegee Airmen. He also is a long branch uh native he He looks for this uh opportunity to write about our family because he knew about us and he is a scre- he's a screenwriter uh, who will, who's, who has written the screenplay for the Ditch diggers daughters
1: i see uh now um uh in the film um Carl Lumley uh plays the role of your dad yeah. Um uh, were, were you able to uh, uh, give him some pointers? No, my daddy would say it like this, or my dad would do this. So. Uh,
2: I'll tell you. Uh, I unfortunately I didn't. I never heard of Carl Lumley. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not a household word. I'm trying. To, I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. And neither are any of the actors or actresses in this movie. It's not a Sidney Poitier, or it's not a Lawrence Fishburne. It's a group of actors that I did not know uh, of their of their expertise. And of their craft until I went down on the set December of this year, of last year uh, for one weekend and I saw them in action, let's put it this way, and I had no idea who these people were. <laughs> and uh, I sat in the in the, the shadows of a, of a uh, scene and I watched Carl Lumley act for the first time. And let me tell you, tears came to my eyes. He is a consummate actor. Mm. And even though he he's not been had the accolades or... The media attention—he is—I didn't have to tell him anything. Uh-huh. He played daddy. He played daddy like I knew daddy. I mean, I—I I would say, yeah, that's daddy. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you know, oh yeah, he would say exactly. He would do exactly the say that's daddy. <laughs> and then when he came off the set, he said he was—he was nervous because he knew that I was visiting the set that day. And I said, you're nervous about me? And he said, yes. I, you never know how the the author will take you know the the scene as it comes to life. And I looked at him and I said, "You know, I, I've never been here before, but I'll tell you, my father would not be happier, any more happier than having you uh, portray him in the, in this movie."
1: Wow, that's excellent, excellent. Oh, that's great. Uh, now, um, is there, do you know if there are going to be plans to um, also have it uh, become available for home uh, home videos?
2: No, I, I would have to talk to the Family Channel and the uh, the, the parent company, but I hope so. I really do. Uh, I, I, you know, selfishly wanted to be on the big screen, you know. Exactly. Hey, you know, I wanted to be out, but in theaters. But I think this is much better because a lot of people don't have eight dollars, you know, to shoot <laughs> anymore, mm-hmm. uh, except for Independence Day and stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I, I think that I've always been guided by serendipity and by, you know, just some kismet, and I've just followed wherever uh, the good winds have taken me with this book, right. and I've been very, very happy again, this is this is icing on the cake because my true love was that, that it became a book. And just as an aside, people ask, you know, Doctor Thornton, what are you doing with your life? What about your family? You know, and, and most doctors have terrible families because we're always taking care of other people. We let our families like gonna go uh to pot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and my mother would always say, No amount of success in your profession can ever make make up for being a failure at home. Mm. And uh I have two children. My son is eighteen. He's at college now. He was the national 11th and 12th grade chess champion in this country. He's an All-American chess master, a member of the All-American chess team, national chess master, Uh, and he's at Harvard. And he is the grandson of a ditch digger. Okay. And if without my philosophy from my parents, I do not think I could have given my son the insight as my father had given me to pass along. And that's why I'm saying with these two people who believed in their six kids... But nobody else did. They have changed generations and generations to come. those of unborn folks right. uh, in my family. And my son wants to be a pediatric surgeon. My daughter wants to be an ob I wonder why. Uh, and uh, she is also a competitive chess player, a classical pianist, and uh, just a wonderful kid. So these are my children. And this is the second generation from Donald Thorne.
1: That's that's beautiful. Um, and I also understand that um, you're uh, quite in... Uh, orator as well.
2: Yes, I. You know. Hey, are we talking? Are we talking?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just. I uh, actually uh, wanted to just. You know. You know. Give you a little congratulations. Well, I thank see you. that you uh, come the first woman in 165 year history of the international platform association to win the daniel Webster oratorical competition thank you and uh... i'm sure that was uh, uh, quite uh, an honor for you as well
2: that's another goal you know you keep going up on a little success ladder okay
1: yes. all right <laughs> and also um... you you and your husband just recently received your executive master's degrees in health policy and management from that's columbia university
2: columbia, that's right then, education
1: okay all right mm-hmm. well wow, and uh, also you um... um your sister um, recently retired after twenty years um, in the army.
2: Yes, well, Linda, this this is and the Thornton sisters. She was a drummer, huh? And Linda uh, also had. She had three strikes against her. Not only was she black, not only she was a woman. She weighed three hundred pounds. Okay. And she lost one hundred and eighty pounds. She's down to a size six. I could smack her. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and she kept it off for twenty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, she recently retired from the United States Army as lieutenant colonel. And she is uh, the prosthodontic oral surgeon at Temple University, and uh, we're very, I'm very proud of her. I really am because you know so many people are, are naysayers, and that you can't do it. And oh my God, you know how long it takes to become a doctor? It takes 25 years. You're gonna be old and wrinkled. And if when you're 20 years old, you say, Wow, they're probably right. But my father said. Well, in 25 years, you're gonna be 45 years old anyway.
1: You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so what? be a doctor, <laughs> right? hmm Uh, well, that's that's um, that's really you know, it's it's really an, an inspiring tale uh, um of your family and, and the love that your father showed. Um, and, and as it said in uh, one of the one part of the press release that it, it, I, I'm sure that you you feel that uh, this whole story, the book and and the TV movie, um, would also be a good um, uh form of uh... inspiration to uh... to young fathers um, yeah. today because uh, you know that especially um, in the african-american uh, community um... there's this knock about uh... young fathers of today uh... Yeah. they don't take care of their kids and uh... they just uh, make the babies um, but they don't stay to raise the babies and um you know you know contrary to belief um there are a lot of uh, uh positive um fathers in in the, the African American community but i'm sure just just having this work uh published and and, and knowing about it um would give a lot of uh, young men the uh the inspiration because um um based on just the, the synopsis that i read and the information that i read um uh your father was quite an extraordinary man and um definitely a, a credit um not only to your family but to the entire uh family of humanity um because I, I i believe that you know when you actually finally um you know lay all the cards on the table um m- most people that do um find success um that was basically instilled in them um in the, in the form of years of, of their upbringing yeah and um, and i'm sure that you can um, bear witness to the fact that um a lot of uh what your father and 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 mother instilled in you um really was the uh the uh the motivating factor in in you um getting up when you were just too tired to go and yes. and studying, pushing yourself to study just that hour longer yeah. and uh and I and I and I'm sure that once the uh the movie hits the uh the TV screen that that a lot of people will become more aware of uh, of this really great work yeah, and nice. uh so I know um, we're getting ready to come down to the to the end of uh, this interview, and it's really been um, a real pleasure to have a chance to chat with you. Um, I know you're a very busy, uh, young lady, and uh, <laughs> I understand you have another speaking engagement in just a little bit also yeah. um, but before we do um, get ready to wind things down and um, and say good night um, i'd like for you um, right after I make a few mentions, I'd like for you to um, leave everyone with um, what's called The Gospel According to Donald um, as and, and leave everybody with, uh, I like to always end my show with um, asking my guests to leave a thought that people can kind of carry with them and myself as well. But um, I'd like to just give some personal thank yous uh, to some people from prior associates uh, that's Ms. Kim Feldman. I don't know if you know the story of how um, you and I got to be... No, um, I don't. Okay, well, I was here at the radio station one day during the semester break. We were, We were out of school from December from December 23rd till February 2nd. We had a nice long break and I needed it to. And I got a phone call from a young lady named Kim Feldman and she started talking about this book that was coming out and it was going to be being a a, a family premiere. And I'm always um, looking for new stories to um, to, and, and, and new topics and new subjects to, uh, to bring to my public affairs show because I cover a wide variety of issues. And so she started telling me about this, and all of a sudden I got really excited. And I said, hey, well, you know, you're, you're talking to the right person because, I, you know, I, I do the public affairs program. And uh, so she said, well, great. So I said, well, you know, could you get me a book and some information? And she said, sure, you know. So then I didn't hear from her for like, you know, a, a couple weeks. And then she told me that it was coming out for Black History Month. And I said, well, this would be great for my show for Black History Month. And then I didn't hear or anything And all of a sudden, I got this package in the mail, and I started jumping up and down. I go, I got the package, <laughs> and then um, I st- made some phone calls. And then the young lady that actually sent the the, uh, the letter was uh, Miss Alyssa Johansmeyer, uh-huh. and she was the one that uh, coordinated everything. She made sure that I uh, um, I got you know the information. Um, and she also uh, was the one that, that kind of worked on arranging the time and making sure that someone was available. Because, uh, uh, believe it or not, I, I was hoping that you were going to be in New York because I would have loved to have you done it live. But uh. this was um, just as well. So I just wanted to really uh, publicly acknowledge uh, Kim Feldman and Alyssa Johansmeyer from Prior Associates for helping me to make um, this um, special interview with you uh, and bring this uh, a very special interview and all this information to our listeners um, in salute of... Uh, of african-american history month and uh... certainly this is a story that uh... can serve as a uh, one of the cornerstones of uh... of african-americans being proud and, and the will to survive and and family traditions and values yeah. and with that being said um... i'd like you to leave our listeners with <laughs> the gospel according to donald if you would be so kind
2: Well, the gospel according to donald as i heard every day of my life uh, <laughs> is that never give up mm-hmm. never never give up if the front door is slammed in your face and it will be <laughs> uh... go around to the back mm. If the back door is closed, go around to the side of the house. Maybe a, they left a window open, something unlatched. If that's closed, jump up on the roof and see if you can get into the chimney. <laughs> you can always get in if you just keep trying. And I am living proof of that, of that gospel, according to Donald. If you put your heart to it and your mind to it and your soul to it, you can do it. Period.
1: Okay. All right. And we're going to end things on that note. Dr. Thornton, I'd like to thank you so much. Thank um, you. I'm going to ask you to just kind of um, stay on the line for just a minute after we um, after we go off the air. Um, I want to get some information from you to make sure I can get you a copy of the show. Oh, thank okay. you. Okay. And uh, once again, uh, we, 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 um, we we salute you and all that you've done, which as we salute you, that's Obviously, a salute to your parents, and um, you know, and your and your children also uh, our legacy to uh, to what can happen if one uh, really strives and, and puts everything they have into um, succeeding. And um, we'd like to thank you for taking time out for talking with us on Viewpoints, and uh, you've really made it a special um, African American History Month here. Um, and I'm sure all our listeners in Brooklyn have enjoyed this as well.
2: So well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Okay, uh, and that's going to wrap
1: it up for us here uh, on Viewpoints. This is WBCR Brooklyn College Radio. This is Silas Kelly. Just been talking with Doctor. The yvonne thornton the author of the ditch digger's daughter and once again that's uh coming up on the family channel on february 23rd at 7 p.m eastern and pacific time and we'd like to encourage all of you that have cable or the family channel to make sure you watch it i'm sure it'll be something that you won't want to miss and with that said we're going to say take care and good night and thank you once again dr thornton and uh, enjoy thank the rest you. of african history month You've been listening to Viewpoints here on WBCR 590 AM. Tune in weekly to our public affairs program brought
0: to you by the news department of WBCR 590 AM. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the show. You've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This and all other programs are available on the Apple iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor podcast platforms. Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the Air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications Production.